Good afternoon, everyone. It is Wacky Wednesday, and it's the Wacky Edition of Office Hours with my wacky brother, Michael Diamond, in the house. How are you, Mikey? Hey, buddy. Good, buddy. Happy back Thanksgiving. Again? Are you back east I'm in, again? I'm in D.C., yeah. In D.C. Wow. Yeah. This man is a working machine. He's an activity that he gets paid for machine. And anyway, we have a great entrepreneur for entrepreneurs, uh, Ahmad Akund. He's the co-founder and CEO of Mercury. And Mercury Bank uh, is the bank that's built for entrepreneurs. It's built for startups. And, you know, take it from someone who's had multiple startups, invented and invested still in multiple startups. Banking is a serious issue uh, because there's so many disadvantages of being a startup when you need to understand and have a bank that can support you. Even if you're super successful, it can be a huge detriment, one in which can you know, actually ruin your business. Uh, so, Ahmad, welcome to Office Hours. Thanks, David. I'm excited to be here. You pitched it so well that I don't have to explain anything about it. Uh, yeah. But, yeah. And I, I'm glad because, you know, I've had so much experience at it. This is why I wanted to have you on the show. But there's certain tools that most banks won't give to a startup. And I thought maybe we could educate the audience on what are some of the things that you need to look for in a bank that, you know, we're all ignorant and humble, but when we start a, a company, man, are we ignorant and humble. And uh, it's nice to know a few of the dummy tax rules before we get involved. What are some of those things that you could help us with? Honestly, I was shocked when I when I like started a business in, in the U.S. I started my first U.S. company in 2007. Uh, like there's fees for everything. It's a pain to start. Uh, you know, I... I was really surprised how complicated it is. Uh, you know, the U.S. banking system, unfortunately, just like penalizes the small guy, right? Like whether it's a consumer or a business, the smaller you are, the worse the fees are. And once you get bigger, then they'll like stop charging. I, I think that's insane. Like I think the, the smaller you are, the easier it should be, the less fees you should have. And uh, so there's a, that aspect of Mercury.com just makes everything you know, free. There's no sign up there's no monthly fees all the wire fees are free and everything like that so uh, that's one aspect the second aspect is uh, just everything's so complicated you have to like go in to sign up for a bank account like you have to go physically to a bank branch which like obviously during COVID no one was doing and like there was like sometimes weeks to get an appointment to get a bank account going uh, you know we do it all online uh, and then just to get something done, you have to call, you have to, again, go in to get a wire done. So we just try to like take all of these things that are just really frustrating. Uh, and honestly, when I started this in 2017, I thought there was like some laws that like enshrined the frustration. Like I thought there was like legal reasons why it had to be a sucky experience. Uh, but the more I investigated it, the more I realized it's just like, there's just not much competition there. Uh, there's not been much kind of technology and product innovation there. And yeah, we thought we could build a better system and people have really appreciated that. We So we launched about two and a half years ago. We have already got about 60,000 businesses using Mercury now uh, and it's still growing like super fast. Uh, obviously, there's a ton of work that we still have to do, uh, but it's a nice start. So you moved from Pakistan to the UK, correct? Yeah, I was... Uh, uh, I was born in Pakistan at age of nine. My, uh, yeah, my parents uh, decided that the UK would give me the most opportunity. So we moved there. Uh, and then I was there until the age of 23. I did my first startup in the UK. It's kind of like a Yelp for London. Uh, you know, didn't know what I was doing, but I really got addicted to doing companies and like being my, you know, being my own boss and having, uh, you know, really being able to make something from scratch. So then I did my second company in SF in 2007 uh that one did okay did a talent acquisition and then my third company went from 2009 to when we sold it in 2016 for 45 million um uh, and yeah throughout that time i was always frustrated with banking so i was like eventually when i could i, I decided to just try to fix it we and, quick, no. sorry Dave. are you yeah, good no, go ahead. I was going to say, so when I said the UK, because Australia is very similar to the UK, did you find that frustrating? And then the transition from the UK to America is a massive transition because what you do in the UK is not relevant here with credit. It's a yeah. completely different system to start off. So with someone like that maybe struggling with that, how did you pivot and how did you do that? Because it's really difficult to start off in America like I did at 24. It's really hard. Uh so two things. Number one, doing a startup in London in 2006 was hard, right? Like you, 
there was very few of us out there doing it. Like I knew all of them. If, like London is a place of like history, uh, but it's not necessarily a place of change. Uh, right. So you're not necessarily like there with like everyone being extremely supportive. Uh, I moved like straight to San Francisco, which, you know, in 2007 was like the place to be, I think still is, but uh, we can you know, argue about that separately. Uh, but I found it much more supportive to be here, to be surrounded by people who were doing it. Uh, one thing that enabled my my move was I got into Y Combinator in 2007, which is a accelerator that gave us a little bit of money. But the more important thing is that gave me like a community and a network that I could like quite quickly go from like zero to like I knew people and I knew like what the path forward was. Uh, so I think, yeah, I recommend having that community and yeah, you, know, you really have to work for a community as well right like when i first moved here and when i even in london i was going to a lot of events like i was going like three times a week just just trying to like meet other entrepreneurs i think that's like really important to develop that in-person kind of community so smart now one of the other aspects of banking one of my biggest partners i think they're the fastest bank uh, to manage over 30 billion dollars is celsius network uh and they're unbanking kind of like you are with no fees uh, except for their giving because they have amassed, you know, the same exact structure as a traditional bank. And the, you know, just so people know, most traditional banks are making somewhere around 16% on your money. And they're using low interest rates as an excuse not to give you any interest on your money. I'm walking around New York during Thanksgiving and Apple Bank has, you know, this big advertisement, 13 month CD for 0.04% of a percent. Right. And it's like, what, what are you kidding me? Uh, Celsius is paying me 10% every Monday. I get a payment, uh, but they've been able to use stable coins, crypto, uh, all of, uh, you know, the different things that are coming up. Are there plans for Mercury uh, to use alternative uh, currencies as well? Or are you strictly going to stick to the dollar? Um, that's a good question. Uh, you know, I want to, we do have a lot of crypto companies use us for operations, uh, and I want to be supportive of that. I think in general, yeah, people are not using crypto for business too much so far outside those kind of crypto companies. So we don't currently support like people hosting, holding Bitcoins or even USDC. Uh, it's something I'm open to. I'd love to do it. I'm actually waiting for more of our customers to ask it like, uh, uh, for us to go like okay let's go do it it is a big lift right like there's a there's a lot of things to get right and like we have to do it in a very kind of above board way because sure. we have banking partners and we you know there's kind of responsibility that comes with that awesome so so when a startup comes to you that they come in what do they need to prepare with because a lot of people just think all right yeah just go in and get this stuff done what what's the first the first things that you would say to someone that's listening that's like okay if you're going to come in proper preparation you know, pistol performance. What um, do you come in with to make it easy? Yeah, I mean, you do have to incorporate or set up the LLC. Uh, there's thankfully lots of places you can do that now. Stripe, Atlas is one. First Base is another that we work with. So we work with a few of these and yeah, that makes it a smooth transition. Uh, that gives you kind of the company, the you know, basic like who owns what kind of thing and the EIN number. Once you have those, the process is very smooth. It's all online. Yeah, you just upload that wow. documentation you upload a picture of your id and you're basically done and yeah Easy. a lot of the times we'll get your bank account within a day and you know one of the things about having wealth is you get custom or private banking and you have someone personally to talk to uh what types of things do you do to help facilitate you know the nerves the ignorance of a startup to have the personal touch where they can you know ask the simple questions and, and feel calm that okay, now I understand. Do you guys provide those type of consultative customer service uh, support? Yeah, I think, you know, one thing that's also, you know, a reason people get frustrated is like, there's this kind of like, if you're wealthy enough as an individual or as a company, you get that consultative thing. But if you don't qualify, like this customer service is like useless. Like, yeah, you're talking to robots or like, uh, you know, uh, like a phone system that like doesn't get you to any anywhere. So we have all of our customer service in-house um, and like split between US and Canada. So, and we really try to focus on like, yeah, going out of our way to resolve your problem, like help you understand it. And like, 
uh, work with you through it. And we also do a bunch of like educational stuff and community stuff. So we have this program called Mercury Raise, which will help connect seed stage companies with seed stage investors. And we've uh, we've run that program uh, for like a year and a half now. Uh, and that's been really useful to a bunch of companies. So we try to put together little things that like help you through different parts of your kind of entrepreneurial journey. There are, there are some big companies that they don't care if you're rich or poor. You just can't ever talk to somebody in person. So <laughs> good, to, good to see there's banks that still will talk to you. Where do you- yeah, I mean, it's a, I think getting that customer service piece right is like a really core cool part because, you know, we don't have bank branches. So it's not like you can walk in and talk to someone. So you have to provide that kind of gap uh, online. Yep, you can't even get customer service in a bank branch right now. So it doesn't matter. <laughs> yeah, great point. So- Right. So where, where, 10 years from now, where do you see banking going and where do you see the future of your company? Yeah, I think, yeah, I am very pessimistic on like the incumbent banks and very optimistic on fintech. I think uh, the reality is these people have had kind of this kind of monopoly, regulatory monopoly for a really long time. They haven't innovated. They don't know how to build products. Everything costs so much because they have bank branches and like really expensive operations throughout it. So I really think most of people's experience with uh, banking is going to be technology companies, whether it's like you do it with Apple, with the Apple card, or you do it with like dedicated fintechs like Mercury and Chime. Uh, there's a bunch of companies innovating now. I think that's the future. Uh, and I think as part of that, what's going to happen is the fee income that banks make is going to pretty much disappear. I don't think like charging fees is the way bank should make money bank should make money by like lending and you know providing other services that uh that really provide value and like there's lots of money to be made outside of like charging uh kind of your poorest customers fees uh so i think that's the future and part of that is also like lots of new innovations happening right there's a uh there's lots of uh especially in b2b lending and alternative financing there's tons of companies now we actually just launched a program called mercury capital guide where you know if you you go through it you say how much money you're making what kind of what kind of financing you need and we'll we'll connect you with uh kind of partners that that will provide you the right kind of financing and we you know we just launched that but we're going to beef it up over time uh but that's yeah that's the future that it's not just let's do all the things that banks do but better but also like what's the new thing you can do where you can apply technology and data and and automation to make it like super simple for people to access uh, yeah, financing and other banking awesome. options. Well, you should knit yourself a cape because uh, unbanking the United States, especially is a super heroic effort to, you know, so- someday it'll affect my job where we're not going to be able to sell sponsorships to stadiums. Although crypto.com had no problem coming up with the uh, cash to put on Staples center. So uh, <laughs> we'll see the world transcend. With companies like Mercury, well back, you guys raised over 120 million in a Series B with some of our friends at Andreessen and Sapphire and some really great firms that not only provide the necessary depth of capital, but of course the relationship capital as well with the situational knowledge on how to scale uh, this multi-billion dollar business. Congratulations, Ahmad. We're glad that you came over across the pond to lead the democratization of banking. Uh, You're doing an incredible job. Check them out. Go to mercury.com. Open your account. We'll even help you give you a referral on where to set up your LLC or your S Corp or C Corp, whatever you need. Uh, They're trying their best from end to end to start with startups and help them with the challenges that usually face us in banking. So thanks, Ahmad, for all the great work you're doing. Yeah. Thanks for having me, David and Mike, and appreciate your support. Yeah, of course. You're a lot of fun, man. Thanks for joining us. You fit right in with this crew. That was awesome. Yeah, great personality. All right, we got next up Michael Zale. He is uh, the founder and CEO of Yellowbird. And uh, talk about disruption again. You know, our friend who was just on is taking on the banks. And that's that's a a big one, right? You might as well take on the carriers or take on the government uh, at the same time. Uh, But, you know, here... We're taking on the biggest need in America, which is, uh, of course, our greatest resource, uh, our people. And uh, thank you, Michael, for joining us. We'd love for you to describe uh, Yellowbird for us for a minute to give us a little bit of background on how this AI-driven platform is changing and disrupting the space. Well, thank you for having me. I am uh, 
Super excited to be here, and it's been quite some time. I think last time I spoke with you, you were driving in front of the Staples Center uh, on your on your way back, and it was a, a a wild interview, but I did enjoy it very much. So yeah, yeah. So, we're much more settled today. So this yeah, is great. yeah, it's good to see you, and and you seem seem comfy in your office, and things are good. Things are good. So actually, since we last spoke, I've closed a round of funding, uh, venture capital backing, was able to. Uh, grow the business um, significantly. We're on about a 300% quarter over quarter growth rate. And what Yellowbird is, in the simplest of terms, is if you take risk and insurance and health and safety specialists, and you match them with companies on demand, like an Uber, uh, we have the right people with the right capabilities on demand nationwide. And so we're taking on the very archaic process that has been done on loss control. And we're trying to help organizations, small and large, to get resources that they need to keep their employees safe. So. Well, and you came up with this idea, you said, in the back of an Uber? I did. I did. I was just... So how did you pivot? What were you doing before that? Because that's incredible. You're in the Uber, you get this idea, then you step into it like a true entrepreneur, then you follow the path. So how, yeah. explain the process. Because people are like, what? It's brilliant. Thank you for that. Um, yes. Yeah, so literally I was, uh, I was ending a, a career in satellite communications and satellite communications is heavily driven from high consequence industries. So I spent 20 years in oil and gas, mining, construction, a lot of uh, heavy uh, uh, issues that when something goes wrong, it goes very wrong. Um, you know, you've, <laughs> We've seen rig sites blow up. We've seen uh, full collapses of, of mine shafts. We've seen all kinds of bad things. And, you know, in the SATCOM world, we were the 911. We were actually providing the backhaul uh, for, for being able to get help. And so I took it very seriously. It was an area of, of passion for me is to get to understand the, the people aspects of the business. So in the back of an Uber, I had this gentleman that was driving me, very overqualified. Uh, he was a uh, maybe a 60-year-old, 65-year-old gentleman who was retired from the um, from the military in the Chilean Air Force. I'll never forget it because it's 5:30 in the morning and this guy is driving my butt uh, around to the airport. And I asked him his ranking and uh, or what he did, and he said, "You know, I, I was pretty high ranking. I had to prod him a little bit." And he goes, "He was a colonel. <laughs> he was a top-ranking person in the Chilean, Chilean Air Force, and he's driving me around." And so my thought was going to my father's experience in finance back in 2008. Um, you know, he was at the end of his career in the, the banking industry, as you just had Mercury on here, there was a heavy adjustment there um, in 2008 when the, when the credit crisis occurred. And my father got retired. And that was the reality. He, he, he didn't choose it. It happened. And so what does every um, experienced 35, 40 year plus executive do when they retire, they're going to consult. And it became very apparent quickly that he did not have the infrastructure. He didn't have the entrepreneurism. He frankly didn't really have the need, the want and the drive to do all the headache stuff, setting up the LLC, creating, getting the insurance, figuring out the billing and the receiving and the, um, prospecting and lead gen, all the things that small businesses, which is what a consultant does, has to do. So I thought to myself, all right, well, this Uber model seems to work pretty well. And what if we did it in a environment that professionals could do it? And that was the kickoff of the concept. It's incredible. But you mentioned something very briefly about 300% growth quarter over quarter. Yeah. And although your father was not up for the test reasonably and practically so understanding where he was in his life. You know, you've taken on a heroic effort uh, when you're growing at that pace during a pandemic with a labor shortage. Um, yes. You know, how have you been able to maintain that type of growth? You know, most companies in America now, successful companies, are facing the big O, the little C, right? Huge opportunity. There, there's more business than ever that have big, big, big opportunities. but they haven't been able to execute to get that type of growth. They're growing, but not at 300% per. How are you able to do that? So we're very fortunate because we're a tech platform first. And so when you develop a, a model, a technology-based model that you're solving human issues, 
you are flipping it on its ear. You're flipping the old model of throwing bodies at things and di 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 dialing for dollars and sending out emails and going and having lunches with people, which is how it had been done for so many years in consulting and, and frankly, in most of the insurance world, which is the area that really drives our business. And so we were fortunate to be in the right place at the right time with an incredible team. Um, I have an absolutely remarkable team. We're up to 20 people now, hard to believe in such a short duration of time. At the beginning of the pandemic, we had three. And so we were able to grow very rapidly. And the honest answer is, is that we were, were modeled to scale. You know, we use AI and machine learning matching. And so when a professional registers on our platform, they give us a ton of information about themselves that you can't get off of a resume. Their wants and their the things they don't want to do. Are they a good trainer? Are they a documentation person? Do they are do they have a specialty in welding or underwater welding safety? Or are they a person in a lab or on a construction site? These are we always say it's from clean uh, clean rooms to mine shafts, kind of the two ends of the spectrum. We can match all of those people. You know, we have seven hundred match ready professionals in the United States right now um, that are on our platform, vetted, insured, federal background checked, ready to roll. And we would be in the top four consulting practices in the country if we had these as, as W2 employees. So if you think about the ability to scale from that perspective, we can execute faster than anybody can. And that's, I think, what's been our secret sauce. Um, and awesome. no legacy. I mean, that's the thing. You know, the legacy model you're trying to squint and tilt your head to the right to make it fit. Like we designed around this. <laughs> did you expect, sorry, did you expect it to be this big did, when you started off? Like obviously well, you had. Always. Yes. I mean, yes, I wouldn't, did, yeah. I, that's how I roll. I don't, awesome. uh, yeah, we, we are going to be big. We're, awesome. we're designing it to be big. And because awesome. um, candidly, small practices can, can do the job well. And at scale is where they fall down. At scale is also where we make the most amount of money and, and optimize technology. And so our scale capacity is very, very interesting because as we learn more and more about matching people quickly, let me give you a scenario. Take a major insurance carrier and they're going to do an underwriting of a tire shop, that uh, tire chain, say 500 tire, tire facilities across 25 states. And they want to do an on-site assessment of each of those to look at liabilities and risk. So how would it be been done before? They'd spend a whole lot of time or they would wait to have people, um, they'd wait to have people driving from place to place, or they would trust the manager who, and there's nothing wrong with trusting man. Management is management. They should be responsible for it. And they are responsible for the health and safety. But the reality is, is that you don't want a self-graded test done by the person who is going to be getting the A. Right. <laughs> like, yeah. That's so that scenario is a real scenario. We did it and we were able to execute it in under a month and we were able to execute it with precision. And that's a, it's a really special thing that we were building. And, and in with, in it, with the, the ROI, because the expense, because of the nature of the gig economy, because of the nature of the employment laws and fees, taxes, et cetera, employment, itself by by itself i mean it's extraordinary how much less expensive it, it is to get better quality and you know I, I was thinking about you were saying you know as a consulting practice you would have probably the most stellar uh thoroughbreds uh compared to any of the big four but even yet uh they're getting paid less than their the big four are building for a guy right out of you know college uh that's you know just pushing paper for them trying to learn the business to someday, you know, with ulcers to be a partner. And, right. uh, and you know, because, because there is, I just real quick, cause we got to let uh, Monty in next. Uh, did you hire, did you hire your dad? <laughs> I would in a heartbeat, but no, my dad, uh, my dad was dealing with some, uh, some health matters of his own. Aww. So, he, you know, I did not hire him, but uh, <laughs> he is always my, my uh, coach and my, my, uh, gold standard of, of business that's for sure yeah I, I wish i could have hired my dad as a, a salesperson for me because <laughs> nobody in the world sold as well as he did and then too i wish i could 
still hire my brother who's you know incredible you know wharton school of economics in london columbia and i for two reasons he won't work with me one he knows better and two he costs too much so uh, <laughs> but what a great business check out yellowbird we're going to be referring more business over there as well i now that i have even a deeper understanding that i'm in you know sitting here stable really understanding what you do so impressive no surprise the amount of growth that you're having in the way that you handle it so I, have a, I have a number i have a number for you before before i jump off yeah i have one number for you which is an incredible number. So far this year, there have been 57,706 regulation changes in, in our laws. And that came out from OSHA. And there's usually one to three people in a company that's responsible for figuring out how to keep other people in compliance. So if everybody goes, well, is it really a big market? That tells you a little bit about the craziness we're all trying to figure out in today's day and age. <laughs> so. Double mic here. That's why the other Michael's so confident he's going to grow. <laughs> that explains it. I get it, man. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. You take care. Great job. Hi, Mike. <laughs> you awesome. know, the universe is filled with killer businesses, you know, oh. and you can figure them out in the back of an Uber, which makes it even more incredible. All right, we'll bring our last guest. Oh, no, sorry. I shouldn't even say that. Not our last guest. We'll bring our next guest up. How <laughs> many people want to be on this show, man? It's getting crazy. Uh, Monty Staggs, he is the CEO of, that's right, Southwest Food Service Excellence, SFELLC.com. Welcome to the Office Hours. How are you? Hey, thanks, guys. David, Mike, appreciate being on. Hey. Well, you know, food insecurity is a big thing. Uh, I've been for 2022, a couple of things I'm focusing in on one is just prioritization, but two is taking care of the basic needs and let everything else take care of itself. And the number one need that the human being needs uh, to live is nutrients. Absolutely. Then comes water, then comes air, <laughs> then comes sleep. You know, these are four, four basics. You got to handle all four of them. Everyone does a poor job of sleep, but because it's hard to understand, you know, there's so many variables, but nutrition is an easy one, especially when it comes to our kids that we should prioritize. And you guys have done an extraordinary job to make sure that our kindergartners to 12th graders, you know, are fueled with the necessary fuel in order to think, to reach their potential, both physically, mentally, spiritually, and emotionally, it takes good food and uh, wanted to see how you've moved through this uh, to give us a greater potential for our next generation. You know, I, I first and, and foremost, thank you so much for for allowing me to come on and talk to you today about it. You know, we are so passionate at, at our company and, you know, it's it's all we do. We, we compete against companies that that are in every line of contracted service, everything from, you know, mowing the grass to, you know, feeding prisoners and, and, you know, every service under the sun, all we do is focus on, on K-12 child nutrition. So it's what we, you know, eat and breathe. And, and it's what we talk about every, every moment of the day. So it drives us and, and everybody in the organization is what we talk about, you know, nonstop. So, um, our passion for innovation around this, you know, this, this industry, uh, it's, it's what fuels us and, and we want to fuel these kids. And, you know, you think back to, you know, I don't know how old each of you are, but, you know, you remember going through the line with your tray and, you know, it was just, you know, here's your protein, your, your starch, veg, and get out of the line and go on. Well, in many ways, if, if you go to a lot of these cafeterias today, it's, it's very much the same. And we're trying to break that mold. We're trying to make it where it doesn't have to be that way. You know, just because it's in a, in a school district, in a cafeteria, doesn't mean it has to be bad food. It can be great food. And, you know, that's what we are proving. And that's why we're having the success we are. We, we believe in great food. We have proven that the model works and that, uh, that kids are voting each and every day by coming down and and they pay with with coming down to the cafeteria and participating with us and and they vote with their mouth so it's a great thing it's awesome yeah people underestimate and neglect 
the the what it does to your mental health eating bad sugars and bad foods and especially young kids they just shovel things down um how many how many schools are you in and then the second question is do you find there's a resistance because a lot of people are just stuck ah it's just food they're just kids they'll wear it off and they, they, they don't understand how it affects your people with ADHD and different things. So how, how do you, how do you handle that? We're over in over a thousand schools. We feed, uh, you know, roughly close to a million students per day. Um, I over 15 different States and expanding that pretty rapidly. Um, we find that, you know, there are a lot of different studies out there, but not near enough studies about how nutrition truly affects the, the day for the student. What we do find is, is in, in many ways, you, you find the elementary students, they come to the line just because they're sort of programmed. They do exactly what they're told. As they get to middle school, it's less and less unless they're really enticed by the food that is offered and they, they have a say in it. And then by the time they get to high school, let's face it, you know, I have, I have a 16-year-old and an 18-year-old. It's not always cool to go down to the cafeteria. And so, you know, our company, we... we we look at putting in food trucks and food trailers and, you know, mobile kiosk and mobile ordering, just like they, they get when, you know, they're, they're at Starbucks or Chipotle or any of the fast food restaurants that they encounter outside of school. We want that same convenience and innovation when they're in school. And so that we can cater those aspects, you know, throughout their day. And they don't always have to come to the cafeteria. We, we cater to where they are. So it makes it a a much more user-friendly experience for them, but we make sure no matter where they are or what stresses they have in their day, that we're getting them the fuel so that they they can succeed because that that's our job. Um, you know, the way we look at these partnerships, you know, we're, we're a contractor basically for the school district to provide that service. But, you know, we, we view it, if that district views us as a contractor at the end of, you know, a first few months, we haven't done our job. We truly need to be a partner in that school district and in the community so that they're looking at us as more than just putting food on a child's plate, but truly how are we helping that district obtain their goals to help those kids succeed? And and that's through community events, that's through all the different aspects that we do. And, you know, whether it's nutrition education that, you know, is really lacking in our curriculum in the school district, in fact, they don't focus on it at all, but we provide those things. We provide you know, roving chef programs so that we can teach kids, whether they have home ec or not, how to cook and life skills of, you know, what what food does to your body, but how to cook it at the same time. And, you know, all those different aspects. We want kids to get out and be self-sufficient so that they they know how to feed themselves. They know what that fuel does to their bodies, but they can power themselves. So especially, and you mentioned, you know, students with ADHD and all the other dietary and and uh, um, allergens that are out there and how to provide for themselves, we want to make sure those students are absolutely taken care of and, and can take care of themselves. Yeah, and this is coming from someone that's a renowned corporate executive chef, Chef Money Staggs, uh, talking about how you know we've been ignoring the most vital resource we have, these unbelievable children, and we're making them struggle trying to improve themselves mentally, physically, spiritually, in the classroom, outside of the classroom, and been feeding them, like you said, empty calories mostly, uh, but even worse, the taste. You, you know, I think if it was, if it just tastes good, and you know, I think some of the things you do, creating your meals from scratch, yeah. uh, they're delicious meals. Like you said, your it, objective is, hey, I want to go eat in the cafeteria because yeah. it beats my mom's sandwich or it tastes better. and. Uh, you know, than a fat, because I will tell you as much as high schoolers do not want to go down to the cafeteria, if there was food that was equal to or greater than the Chipotle's of the world and the, the Taco Bell's and the other stuff that they go out and just having the extra time to hang out with their friends and not get in the car not leave campus, absolutely, you know, is, is a huge thing as well in disrupting the educational process. Yeah. You know, it's like the big companies as you work for, you know, 200 huge U.S. restaurant chains creating products. Look, they wanted their people to stay on campus. They yeah. created hospitals and yeah. they have executive chefs, you know, at these big campuses. Some of the best chefs in the world work at the campuses that I've been on because they want people to stay. And yeah. I think keeping kids in school, staying there, uh, a lot less can happen 
down in the cafeteria than once they jump out off of campus. So uh, there, there's a lot of subjective things uh, as well. For you, with that experience as an executive chef, mm -hmm. what uh, did you see when you first started the company and said, you know what, this just doesn't make any sense. I know food, I, I know hospitality, you know, what, what was the curiosity or the creativity that, you know, you looked at and said, I can do this way better? Oh, I, when, when I first ventured into K-12, my, my, my kids were in elementary school and I, my son, my son's very outspoken, but he kept telling me, dad, that the food's awful. I, I can't do this. And he used to eat uh, your food. <laughs> I, absolutely. He, he was, he was very picky, but I, I find it. My wife said, you know, go have lunch with him. And I, I did. And it was yeah, absolutely, it was awful. Was dog and <laughs> uh, so I, at that point, I, I just said, we can do this better. And, and the problem is, you know, with the national school lunch program, it, it's very easy. You can buy a lot of pre-processed frozen products that you just take out of a frozen box, throw it on a, a sheet tray, heat it up and give that to kids and call that cooking. That's not cooking. That's reheating. And you, know, you, you can do that. And some kids will be fine with it, but they're not going to they're not going to want to come eat with you. And, th and that's a problem. The other thing is most of my competitors will run cycle menus that is the same thing throughout the entire year. So it's a four to six week cycle menu. And it's, if I ask you guys to go eat at the same restaurant for 180 days straight, you're going to get tired of it if it's the same menu. So we take a different philosophy. We actually ask kids what they want. We change the menus at every single district and across the nation every single month because the kids tell us what they want. We sample them on different concepts. We make up new concepts all the time because what what Mike's going to want in his school district versus what David's going to want in his are not the same. And I'm a big believer. If you tell me what you want for lunch and I actually listen to you and then serve it, you're going to want to come eat with me and then you're going to trust me. And so we give students a voice. We listen to them. We provide great food. It doesn't take any more time or effort. It just takes a little love. And we give that in the food that we serve to the kids. They vote by coming to eat with us. And, and we've done very well with that model. Amazing. A lot of, a lot of people don't understand. I've, I have ulcerated colitis. Yeah. And I have to be strict on my diet. I, yeah. you know, I eat very clean. And a lot of people don't understand that when you eat the sugars and the bad food, it actually affects how you delay gratification. Absolutely. Because and your discipline because you're just scoffing food down and you're actually not building the serotonin in your stomach, which affects your brain and the mind body connection. So you just race through everything. And, and now studies are showing that if you don't process that food and chew it correctly and build the digestive enzymes in your mouth, so your gut is settled, that's why we have all these problems now with people with stomach ulcers and ulcers and issues because it's bad processed food and they're not eating it correctly and taking the time to eat it correctly. So Correct. what you're doing is incredible. It's groundbreaking because it's actually giving people purposeful eating. There's an intent to eating and fueling yourself correctly. It's if we take the time and we take raw ingredients and we make things from scratch as much as possible. And, and folks, I mean, it's hard. You know, it, it is it is hard in the National School Lunch Program, but it just takes a little effort. We, we have talented culinarians. We have talented men and women across all of these school districts across the nation, whether it's our school district or, or anybody's. These men and women know how to cook. They just haven't been asked to for a lot of years. They cook at home. And so we just have to empower them to go back to doing that. And they love it. They love when, when third graders come down the line because they're getting good food again and give them high fives because they're getting great food. That's what I love seeing. I love seeing their eyes light up because the ladies and gentlemen who are cooking this food are happy and feel good about what they're doing again. And the kids, they're excited about what they're getting as well. And, and it's a win-win all the way around. And so that's, that's what I'm most proud about, the ladies and gentlemen in the kitchen and our company, but also the students. It, it truly is a win-win. It's the most, most gratifying, fulfilling job I've ever had in my life. I can imagine that and the importance of eating together is something as you talked about trusting the school uh there's no better bonding experience than having a meal uh with your friends at your school it bonds everyone in fact 
my siblings and I sent my mom to Columbia to get her PhD when she retired after putting us through everything uh, mm -hmm. and supporting us. So she came back from Columbia uh, to get her PhD in education. And I asked her, what's your number one takeaway? She said it was that the there's one common denominator of all children who go to the Ivy League, the biggest common denominator. She said, do you know what it is? I said, oh, it has to be private school. No, it has to be wealth, you know, affluent. No, not at all. Oh, it, you know, it has to be how much they read. Nope. It's that the predominantly, the most common, common denominator in all Ivy Leagues is they ate dinner with their family. There you go. So if you don't understand the importance and tie to education and nutrition, that to me, emotionally, energetically, uh, with that trust, uh, says more than even the energy we get from proper nutrition and the excitement and joy, like you said, the positive energy. Monty, I love that you're passionate, purposeful, and profitable, and that you're empowering others. The most important segment of our uh, earth today, the K through 12, which is our future. I wish you were out here. I, I also, I'm going to make a recommendation to Mr. Cronky because the food at SoFi sucks. So if you want to <laughs> venture into the stadium arena, we got to get some better food into SoFi. Hey, I'm coming that direction. I promise. I'm I'm right around the corner. So um, yeah. I invite everybody to taste the difference with SFE. They can eat the SFE family anytime. You're amazing. Uh, Chef, thank you so much. Chef Monty Staggs. Thank you all so much. Southwest Happy Food Monday. Service Excellence says it all. Thanks. Join us again. Have a good one. Bye-bye. You got it. It's awesome. You know, you know I, I love the show because we – you know, get these interesting niches like you, you you just don't think about and they have a huge impact on the world. Like, hey, why don't we get better food in schools because school food sucks? Oh, my God. Look at all these great things that happen yeah, in the most true. important thing. You know, it's it's crazy. Anyway, we got time for uh, our boys to come on here. A quick question uh, as we have them. What's going on, boys? How's it going, Mr. Meltzer? Long time no see. Yes, look at you all grown up. Great to see you. Yes, it's crazy what a year can do. Yeah, especially when you're young. And when you're old, it goes the other way. <laughs> That's why you started calling me Mr. Meltzer. You thought I was my dad. <laughs> right, Mikey? It's amazing. Or your dad. Oh, my God. <laughs> anyway, you guys are incredible, uh, ambitious uh, as all get up and never believing you're too young to get started. Uh, why don't you guys give us a little bit of background on what you're working on? And I know you have a question for Mikey and I. So um, I'm Morris Hundle. Me and Dave have previously met on an Instagram live around January where we talk about stocks, cryptos, and just everything under the sun uh, revolving a teenager's life. So this is my partner, Ishwar Shan. Um, it's his first time on. And we were both influenced by your content heavily and our project that we're going to start talking about. Um, so last March, we were one of the top five uh, national winners of the Lenovo Scholar Network 2021 National App Development Competition, and our app was called Local Tutor. And Local Tutor basically aims to connect everyone to free tutoring. But before we get to the app, a little bit about myself. Like I mentioned, I'm an avid trader. And um, so right now, um, since the start of my trading career, I'm up 150,000%. Uh, so I remember we talked last year was around 15,000. Now we're up to over 100,000%. Um, can Mike get a loan? Huh? Can you let Mike borrow some money? <laughs> I'm tired of letting him borrow my money. You're richer than me now. Uh, so I've grown my portfolio and I've taught myself to trade options. and I'm still learning how to trade better to maximize my profits because we all know there's someone doing a lot better out there and there's always something new to learn to develop yourself in a way where you stand out. Uh, I keep... I work for my parents as well, but um, that's just a little bit about me. Why don't you listen to about my partner? All right. Yeah. Uh, I'm Ishfar. It is my first time on. So uh, thanks for having me, guys. And uh, kind of like Warris, I also run a business with my parents. It's uh, about uh, property management. And uh, he does a lot of like, uh, Warris here, he does a lot of like the finances and making sure documents are up to date. And I kind of do the same thing, but since it's for uh, properties and like, uh, leasing things out and like selling houses and stuff. It's a little bit more about uh, creating leases and uh, residential contracts and stuff like that. So that's that's a little bit more of what I do. And he does a lot more of the trading side of stuff. Very cool. So you guys got a question that Mikey and I can help you with? Yeah. yeah. So um, 
After joining the competition, we wanted to create a difference. Uh, we are winners for the last two to three years. So this is our third year going on the competition for Lenovo. And uh, we won the year before, but this year we wanted to do something really special that actually made a difference. And um, I referred him to your contact because you're always trying to empower people to make their own decisions and lead a lives where they are living happily and enjoying life. So uh, we just wanted to create an app that basically changed the layout of the educational system. And basically, uh, we realized that we read an article that kids are years behind of where they should be because of the COVID um, uh, uh, epidemic. And basically, we wanted to create a system in place where people can get caught up on their free time that's accessible to the masses and it's totally free. So, so uh, we created an app. It's called Local Tutor and it's designed to provide access to pretty much to, to everyone in a local area. So the way it works is that you could have any local local tutors, mentors, maybe even like college students who can come in, join a session, or uh, you know, if you want to do it in person, it could, it's, you can just like add a location, choose a venue. And then you could have people come in, connect, uh, and then you guys can have like a real, maybe not one-on-one, -on -one, but a more individualized and more like direct uh, tutoring session. So over the pandemic, we realized a lot of school districts in our neighborhood, in our uh, area, they were going not just like fully remote, but they weren't really teaching. It was more like, here's a YouTube video or here's a pre-recorded -re -pre lecture. And then a lot of students were starting to fall behind. So with this app, we're kind of aiming to uh, connect people a little bit more one-on-one -on -one or like interactively. So you can ask questions and you can get those answers. You don't have to like kind of rely on, maybe I can vaguely figure out a question through Google. It's more like, this is my question, this is my answer. Uh, this is what I need. And it's very uh, quick. It's uh, you just kind of find the session that you need to go to. You just attend and you learn. Love it. Do you have a question for us? <laughs> so our question is, how do we access and basically broadcast our app, uh, our potential app to potential investors? And how do we gain traction and engagement to where we can stand out and possibly help someone else reinvent themselves? Because as you know, Dave, education and everything is about reinventing yourself. There's always going to be something brand new in the next couple of years. And uh, we just want to stand out uh, in the position we are now and lead uh potentially successful business yeah well number one you know you with this app especially you want to ask for help you want to find since you've won awards uh you are well suited to get into an accelerator or a launch program where not only you can get a whole team of sophisticated entrepreneurs that sit in a situation and experience that you want to be in but even more important open up the doors and the network uh to the appropriate timing risk tolerance and financial support that you need. And so your next step is because you are qualified uh, is to, you know, go to Draper University, go to Y Combinator, go to, you know, Techstars, uh, one of the great accelerators, they'll gladly accept you guys uh, with the success that you've had. There's no doubt in my mind that they would be blessed as much as you win competitions uh, to get in, you know, a little bit of financing through the accelerator program, but then be able to have what you need to take it to the next level, which you guys have the capability to do uh, because you have the three things that are necessary to be successful. You have the skills, you have the knowledge, but most importantly, you both have that desire that you must be what you can be. And people in those accelerators and launch pads are looking for kids like you. I'm more than happy to make introductions as well, of course. So go ahead, reach out to me, David at dmelzer.com and I'll help you both. Uh, Mike, anything to add? All I was going to say is um, our second guest talked about the scale and the community he built on the back end. So the first thing is set yourself up with a team and how, how many students do you want to empower? Okay, have a vision of how many people you want to affect. Because if you don't know the target, how are you going to hit it? Do yeah. you know what I mean? So sit down with, you, with, with the two of you, look at your team, and don't be the smartest guy in the room get people with more experience around you say we want to affect you know we want to have 30 million students that are tutored and then you've got that big picture step back and then go okay how are we going to execute this because you've obviously got the skills you won awards yep. you know what you're doing 
So now it's about getting around the right community and empowering people that are either more skillful than you or more knowledge or more experience. And like Dave said, you've already, you're going to get money. That's not a problem. But learn how to scale big from the start. Otherwise, you're going to get it over your head. And like they say, you know, don't go fishing for a great white in a canoe because you may land the fish, but you'll end up drowning in the process. You know what I'm saying? So get the plan together, make it big, make it strong, make it empowering, and then go for it. Great advice. Thank you, Warris. Thank you, Ishvar. Please come back. Stop growing up. You're making me feel old, but I'm here to be of help. Thank you. Thank, Thank you, you so much. Hey, Bye, guys. guys. It was nice. It was All right, so man. Awesome. We got a full house today. So much so fun. So good to see you. Today. Yeah, man. So good, good to see you, man. So um, first of all, happy Thanksgiving. Happy holidays. Best Thanksgiving ever, so I'm stoked. Yeah, I was stoked I was back home. You know what my, my takeaway is today? You know what resonated with me? Um, all our guests, wherever they were, they were in other careers or whatever, but they wanted to bring something empowering to the community. It was all about empowering the community from making lunches to helping people, you know, make more banking. money to banking. You know what I mean? I love that. And even these guys, that what can they do to empower students? So it's like, go out there with your skills and your purpose. And then empower people in the community, help other people grow and help other people expand and, I, and, and, and have an abundance mindset. Do you know what I mean? Go out and be of service. Yeah, my, my, my takeaway is one of value. Um, sometimes I take for granted what you know other people wish for. Sometimes I take for granted what I'm wishing for. And I sat here with these extraordinary entrepreneurs, uh, these kind giving people, including you, thinking not only how blessed I am, but how much value, like, there, there's no other, you know, and I know they made this into a TV show and we got big streaming news and everything, but I'm talking about this show that we created to help people. You and I sat there after the podcast pandemic hit like the next day and we're like, hey, let's just do a show. I got tons of people that want me to interview with them and to, you know, teach and do all this stuff. Why don't we, and I'm sitting here going, man, I, I mean, I went to some of the best colleges and universities in the, in the, and I teach there and I speak there, man, I learned more today. Uh, you know, the, the knowledge, the human nature that man, there's so many lessons. So if you're not going back and watching these things, if you're not listening and taking notes and creating a process to access the information that you take notes for, you're making a big mistake because there's a lot of great nuggets and takeaways, no matter what industries, careers, or jobs, or if you're looking for an opportunity, these are the places that you find it. So I want to thank you, Mike, for always giving us your time. Uh, you know, we do this to help others. That's the only reason we do it. And uh, I do it because I get to see you every week. <laughs> Love thank <me>. you, brother. <laughs> Bye, brother. Bye, mate. See ya. All right, the great Mike Diamond. Check out Diamond Life Fuel. It's something that uh, I'm breaking the bank on Mikey because I keep on ordering more and more from him and I never pay. So I'm sure he has like a big tab. I'm like, uh, George, uh, what's the name of Cheers? You know, are you going to ever pay your tab? Nope, just take my free life fuel. Uh, but reach out to him. Anyway, Maddie, good to see you there. Low on the bar. Thank you for producing the show for us. Remember, you can catch the show on Bloomberg TV every Friday. Uh, so Office Hours with David Meltzer. Remember, most importantly, be kind to your future self and do good deeds. Have a great night.